Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Huzzah! Would you like access to bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Join us mm-hmm. in the Curiosity Shop at patreon.com backslash Bones and Bobbins. Your generous support helps make the show happen and will also earn you our very eternal gratitude and entry into our private Patreon-only Facebook group. Which is delightful. It really is. It's where all of the creepy, crafty, really nice, yes, all of those things happen. And so. you get photos of my random cemetery findings and things I find on TikTok when I have insomnia at 3.30 in the morning. Which is really... <laughs> quite useful something that you sent me i actually was i actually used what was it oh the insomnia acupuncture there you go (laughs) yes or acupressure yes i guess yes yes um that that is that's funny i try uh oh yeah and you also get our um extra patreon episodes because you know you want some dispatches from the curiosity shop and there's like over 50 of them or 50 there's a lot there is a lot i believe there are exactly 50 of them yes Uh see well there will be 51 after next week yes i know because it's the 11th episode of the (laughs) third season (laughs) um anyway that, uh, join us only to me yes join us i would promise that we'll be less weird but no no we'll be more weird yep i embrace our weird indeed and on that note <laughs> in a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street You'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet. Where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. Hello, morbid makers. We are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed, opaquely odd, narrowly morbid, marvelously mythanthropic, 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 <laughs> misanthropic hosts. And this is Bones and Bobbins, season three, episode 11, Our Bodies Are Clothes. Also, our bodies, <laughs> our clothes. Mm. <laughs> the emphasis can really go anywhere. The areas <laughs> they become a little concerning. Indeed. Um, I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts Podcast, and I'm Natalie from Uber Dark Designs, an official true crime creative. Ooh. So, you've had a hell of a week. <sighs> Again? Seriously. <laughs> okay, so I will say this. Number one, I am, this is the first time in 
months that I am not on some form of antibiotic while recording. I am. Holy shit. Right? No antibiotics today. I feel like we should put that on the calendar. Right? And most of the clusterfuckery, I'd say like 99.9% of it, not my doing. <laughs> like, just. I, I can't think of any of it, it that is, you're doing uh, at the moment. Neither can I, but, you know, I'm always willing to accept responsibility, so I throw that point one in there. Uh, there is some Lifetime movie slash Hallmark mystery shit going on that is family adjacent because it involves the ex-husband and that family. So it obviously affects my children. Um, it's fucking chaos is what it is. It's banana pants. Uh, but it doesn't, but it's, but it's not my fault. <laughs> like it's, it's one of those things that uh, there's, yeah, it's still no, playing you out. You have absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, there's still chapters being added to this story. So uh, once, once it all comes out, perhaps you'll get a story time right now. Uh, in the <laughs> midst of all of it, they came back from a fairly decent stretch there. Um, where they went to help because they have to move, uh, which is never fun. Uh, but no, they're moving. Their dad's moving. And his wife. Um, so they went over their pack and eldest is uh, leaving for college in two and a half weeks. So uh, they went. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah. It stings a bit. Um, so they went to pack the room and everything. Uh, but yeah, so they came home with lice. And I'm like, it's not even school season. Like, I never had lice as a kid. No, me neither. Let's knock on all the things. Oh, knocking, knock, knock, knocking. Um, I'm going to sit on Heaven's door and just bust it out some, you know, metal. But, uh, yeah, so. Hey, hey. So it's been crazy pants, but uh, I have a vast amount of cold brew in my system and hope in my heart. Uh, so, <laughs> so I know a little feisty today, probably because of the cold brew, but I don't know. My to- the topic just got me feisty too. So yeah, I understand. So how are you? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I did know, and I wrote it down. No. No, I don't know. Uh, oh, I now I remember. All right, so first, a small personal victory. Yes. I finally drove my car. Yay! Which, for those of you listening who, you know, I don't even know if I've ever talked about this. I don't like to drive. It's not a thing. Like, I wasn't a 16-year-old itching to get keys. Um, I learned how to drive because my police officer dad wanted me to be able to drive. Yeah. And specifically drive a a stick shift so I could get out of any situation. Indeed. You also spent the vast majority of the last how long in Brooklyn where nobody drives. (laughs) Yeah. Well, see, I grew up in Michigan and that was only driving everywhere. And then Brooklyn, which was no driving anywhere. Yeah, there's no middle ground. So, yeah, and I spent about equal amounts of time in both places. Um, so anyway, I've been not driving our new car, largely because they're 
just hasn't been any reason for me to go anywhere by myself. Um, but I finally did this week. Yay! And it was fine. So proud of you. That's a big thing. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's one thing off the list. Still an anxiety, but at least I've done the thing. Right. But now I have a funny anecdote for Ooh. you. I love a funny I believe I sent you a text <laughs> of this happening. Probably. <laughs> a, a photographic text, I believe. An MMS, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, in the wake of the Roe decision, I was really mad, obviously, as we all were. Yes. And I went shopping for t-shirts as one does t-shirts that generally speaking donate a portion or all of the proceeds to funding abortion yes and so i bought this t-shirt <laughs> that says um my body my choice and my body my choice those words are curved and it's separated into two parts to look like breasts <laughs> and like including nipple and so i put this shirt on for the first time and realized <laughs> that either the person who designed this is very optimistic <laughs> <laughs> or um the grading for the um sizing of the pattern on different size shirts just the math wasn't the done math wasn't math <laughs> no um i mean it's pretty clear that they did not design the shirt to be my size they probably designed it to be a medium or a large originally which i think would have translated into the breasts on the shirt being in breast position <laughs> but instead i have what looks like breasts coming off of my collarbone <laughs> and like oh dear i'm turning 40 <laughs> I remember being 16 and being embarrassed by how perky my boobs were because they looked weird in tank tops. Mm -hmm. I mean, they looked weird to me. I'm sure they looked fine. <laughs> but this was more or less the location of where those were at the time. Oh, how very dare them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so, like... This design is like full set of boobs and then directly below it is my actual set of boobs. <laughs> and it's so hilariously awkward that I can't decide whether it's so funny that I'm just going to wear it or whether it's so weird that I can't wear it. 
Um, and if it like were it I, gets relegated to pajamas. <laughs> if it were I, I would absolutely wear it because it's gonna draw more attention, and therefore, you know. <laughs> and what 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 is somebody gonna say? Your boobs are crooked, or <laughs> your boobs are too high up, or like holy shit, your tits hang low. <laughs> I think that's what they would say, it given. And I mean, my boobs have absolutely succumbed to the siren song of gravity, but not that much. <laughs> She's like, I'm not tucking them and in my pants yet, so we... <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Like, they're a couple inches lower than they were. Don't care. I think they're that's... They're fine. I mean, that's a, that's a tough graphic to work with you know what i mean to because there are bodies are so very 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 drastically they different oh so, but laid out on a screen yeah you you would notice uh, i wonder if it was like a print on demand that they went with so that I think it was so then actually. the position would be the same no matter the sizeage whereas if they um screen printed them or worked with like a local printer then it probably yeah. would have been but yeah it sounds like it was probably was pretty it wasn't good <laughs> <laughs> oh bless and them a for effort like it was from a small business <laughs> and i am totally not gonna call them out and i absolutely left them a good review on etsy and <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> yep so every time i see it and, well, I, I think I will share this photo with the patrons. So nice. if you want to see the ridiculousness, you may, you might have to join Patreon because, yeah. listen, Indeed. that's not going on, Maine. It's just not. Yeah, totally understandable. I also. It would look funny on my grid. <laughs> it would throw off my aesthetics. I mean, it looks like udders. <laughs> Multiple oh, rows. Oh, dear. I mean, I guess I moved to Vermont, mm-hmm. where the public transportation is literally buses painted like cows. So, that'll, that'll maybe be. I'm just blending in. <laughs> <laughs> Embracing your new roots. <laughs> uh, something oh, like that. Excuse me. Anyway, so th- that's that's where I'm at. Nice. <laughs> and I've almost managed to fully lift blood from marble. That's amazing. So, yes. You can add that to that's a very helpful skill, <laughs> skill for a variety of reasons, really. Yes. Uh, friends, if you, too, ever need to lift blood from a marble tabletop, let me know. <laughs> Yes. Such is the life of uh, living in a Victorian, furnished with Victorian items. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. So. So, hey, why don't we take a little quick break right now to thank all of our fantastic Curiosity Shop members over on Patreon. Yes, please. If you want a totally normal and not at all creepy, but probably most likely awkward, welcome shout out on an episode. Join us today and you'll have it right about here. It's true. Right here. Right here. Right now. 
Like, right now. Yes. Okay. <laughs> anyway, to all of our current Curiosity Shop members, yes. we love you. So much. And you're the best. The best. And we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you. And now I know where some are. Yes. And I would wear that t-shirt. That's how much I love you guys. I would have a whole set of udders that help fund abortions just to hang Listen, out with you. <laughs> I'll send you that t-shirt. We'll I'll probably see be able to fit like eight it... arm in it and that's it. <laughs> I mean, not that literal t-shirt. I mean, I will send you a t-shirt and we can see if maybe the placement makes a little more sense. Listen, all I'm saying is even Barbie could never. Could never. Actually, one of my friends is the voice of Barbie. <laughs> uh, yeah, just gonna, I'm gonna let that just ride. Um, so, yeah, so. speaking of boobs and Barbie, who's a fashion icon. Yeah. Do you want to go? Um, do you want to go first? You want to talk boobs or pants first? <laughs> I'll t- I'll tell you about some boobs. Boobs are great. Let's go. With boobs. May as well, yeah. since we're on the subject. Indeed. Look at that. It's right. a good segue so, in there, and you didn't even realize it. <laughs> I and I yeah, I tr- truly did not mean to make that segue, but I guess I had boobs on the brain, so <laughs> I thought when I started researching this that I was going to talk about the history of showing and or not showing different parts of one's breasts in fashion like and I thought that was going to be a relatively straightforward thing Obviously, I did not think that through (laughs) because obviously with, you know, hundreds, thousands even of cultures in the world and throughout history, um, yeah. So you can see where that might not have made sense. So I am going to do a relatively quick run-through of the history of boobs in fashion, and I'm going to hit as many of, like, standout interesting facts in different cultures that I came across. This is not a definitive description of how boobs work in fashion, because honestly, you could write a doctoral thesis on a section of that subject. Um, And so I just basically picked out some interesting bits that I thought were interesting and also have some make me bristle, some make me want to yell hell yeah and give someone a high five there's a lot going on there and nobody agrees on what's going on there (laughs) 
And so uh, this is kind of pulled from the history of cleavage on Wikipedia and then an article on racked and an article in L and oh gosh some medium writing like there are refinery 29 it's it's a whole yeah collection oh and harper's bazaar which has a photo of um my new historical internet girlfriend um wearing uh yves saint laurent yves saint laurent Um, is in mine as well yes um, well, I'm not actually going to talk about the designs. It's just that whatever collection that was. She was just rocking it. <laughs> I just. It's a little steamy. Nice. I appreciate her silhouette. Nice. Anyway. Moving along from being a dirty old man <laughs> fashion loves boobs boobs are good it just it just does until it doesn't yeah. and then it does again and then it really doesn't <laughs> and then it thinks maybe and then oh absolutely not and then again maybe under boob this time so, <sighs> under boob is fascinating to me, and also frightens me. Yeah, a bit. I don't. I, mm, I. I think that under boob is a thing that might have been interesting to me when my boobs were a couple inches higher. Right, right, right. That's yeah, exactly. Because now I'm like. Oof. That's yeah. trusting a lot of, a lot on a little bit of fabric. <laughs> I mean, that is what fashion tape is for. True, true. But, or just showing your nipples. Yeah, what else? Right. Anyway, speaking of, um, as you know, it has been ninety-five to ninety-seven degrees in Vermont, mm. which is unusual. And also, eh, not my favorite. And I live in a beautiful Victorian mansion that is, in proper style of the period, absolutely not air-conditioned in any way. So I've been spending a lot of time, like, cleaning and moving things and basically being a gross sweaty monster kind of eh, i don't know think elmo in a rainstorm <laughs> that's how i feel till you it's hit that gross. pool my hair is kind of weird i i don't even know i cut my bangs because they were just in my face and i was mad like it's a whole thing and so the point of that is sweaty bras 
are the devil's own undergarment. Yes. I can think of nothing that I find more uncomfortable, except maybe wet socks. Ew, yeah. Than sweaty bras. Yeah. Even, or trying to put one on fresh out of the shower. Oh, God. That's not fun either. It's the worst. Yeah. No. No. And so, I have, because it's been very hot, and I have been taking off a lot of clothes and putting swimsuits on and swapping back and forth, there has been a lot of dressing and undressing. Well, damn. Mm. And... My sensory stuff hates it. Yeah. Eldis has some serious sensory stuff along the same lines. Yep. And so I've found myself saying fuck it more often than not and just not wearing a bra because no bra dries a lot faster than wet bra. Yeah. And... Why not? I mean, that's just true. <laughs> Unless I'm wearing an actual mesh undergarment, it's going to be more comfortable with nothing. Right. And it's Because, summer. I mean, yeah, it's going to be sweaty, but it's going to be passing sweaty. Anyway. Um, now, it might be my age and the fact that I currently give way fewer fucks than i have ever given in my life (laughs) yes um but i really just can't be bothered to wrangle the ladies into anything resembling a foundation garment even when leaving the house at this point it's just not happening and because like when it's that hot All putting a bra on does is generate laundry. Yeah. Because once a bra is wet, I'm going to put it back on. New. In the next round of clothing swaps. So then I'm going to get a dry one that's going to be wet in five minutes. Like, no. It's a never-ending cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want more laundry. I don't need more laundry. I'm not folding or putting away the laundry I have because depression. So I've been going titty commando. Titty commando. Yeah. And you have to like do a little shoulder shake when you say it. Titty (laughs) commando. Yes. Like that (laughs) of pride with the chin up. Yes. 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 Chin up. Shoulders back. Chin up. Tits up. (laughs) Actually, I have a shirt that says that. Chin up, tits up. Uh-huh. Nice. <laughs> I do. And um, that print is across the bust. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm pretty sure that some of the shirts that I've been wearing are probably sheer enough that you can see my nipples. I don't actually know because I haven't been looking in the mirror because I don't care they're no different. and i'm hot right. and they're no I'm different like, than fuck you. fucking men's like, nipples not you. exactly they're allowed to just like, hang out they're just chilling and i have found that either as a product of living in 
very, very hippie liberal rural Vermont. Or just because maybe you can't actually see through my shirts. I have no idea. Um, the general public hasn't noticed. Or I have not noticed them noticing, which is just as good. I don't really there care. There you go. As long, I don't have to deal with it. It ceases to be my problem if I'm not noticing. Um, you know, either way, I win. Exactly. But I'm also kind of wondering if the whole visible nipple, no bra fashion cycle has come back around again. <laughs> and I think it maybe has. Ah. It's like the 1970s and it's like, you know, crocheted halter top, tank top without bra whole thing. Mm. Like that like, was super common. Peekaboo, <laughs> peekaboo nipple. <laughs> Yeah, and the 1990s involved a lot of sheer shirts and Kate Moss. Yes. Yeah, and so I think that, like, the whole wearing your t-shirt or tank top without a bra thing has come back, although I don't know for sure because I no longer live in New York City and therefore am unaware of what is currently in style which is very weird because <laughs> I didn't notice that I knew when I lived there, but that's, now I for sure know that I don't know. That's stuff that um, seeps into your, your subconscious. Yeah. And I guess, I don't know, it seems to be back. So I feel pretty good about that. There you go. Especially because I don't fucking care what anybody else thinks. And because it isn't male gaze centric for me. But it will not shock you to know that like, the history of burying one's breasts or not uh, has often been subject to the rules of the male gaze uh, because patriarchy fucking patriarchy but there were also a surprisingly large amount of times throughout history where it's been fine hmm but then many sources would argue that it wasn't fine it's it becomes a tangle of bullshit people are so fucking fickle well also religion yeah yeah that's true i mean it's probably it, a direct it's a correlation to the rise and fall of certain sex sects yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, all of <laughs> both above. um so i should say that largely what i'm going to talk about uh is upper class history mm. um, because rich people are the people who wrote the history and that's where most of the actual source records lie. Right. And I mean every once in a while the general public jumps in but starting 
you know, at the very beginning of humanity. Um, showing off or highlighting breasts with clothing happened. And it's, I would imagine that it's been happening about as long as garments of any kind have existed. Yeah. Because people do that. And one of the earliest examples that I saw of specifically cleavage display came from 2600 BCE. Ooh. Yeah, that that is um you know, two and a half thousand years before the birth of Christ, if you are going by that. There's an Egyptian statue of Princess Nofrit wearing a top with red carpet level plunge and a statement necklace. And in that statue, her nipples are prominent. Nice. Like right there and this is obviously a princess who is a respected figure in society and so it's pretty clear to me that at least at that point that was an acceptable way to dress yeah which I mean, I mean, it makes sense in the aspect of, I mean, essentially, although this mill may, you know, upset quite a few, uh, boobs exist to, gen- you know, genetically to nurture a- an offspring should you choose to have one. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they're basically ut- utilitarian. So, if if you're, you know, being able to whip one out. I don't think and- this was a utilitarian display of them. Right, but I'm just saying that if you that you need to whip it out to feed something or whatever, like it's not I don't think I don't think shame was brought into it then. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's something that's used to I feed. I mean, religion so like, brought shame. Right. So it had not been. And yeah, and you may be right. That may be straight up practicality. That neckline. I have no idea. Well, I'm just saying that um, nips being shown would not be scandalous that at that point in time because you know they're ripped out to feed a kid and i'm guessing i mean it's not like they had like breastfeeding rooms back then (laughs) just you whipped it out it was a part that was seen more often than not i'm guessing yeah um so in 1600s and 1500s bce ish um Oh, hello, Minoan corset style tops with optional covered or uncovered breasts. Ooh. You know those uh, Minoan fertility snake statues? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, turns out that's kind of accurate. Okay. Actually. Yep. So um, you too can be a fertility goddess. (laughs) Nice. Yep. And... Ancient Greek women had pendant necklaces that were specifically made to hang between cleavage. And um, they also sometimes wore breast bands that were basically 
ancient push-up bras. Ooh. And apparently legend has it that Hera wore one of these with a bunch of spangly things <laughs> to try to distract Zeus from the Trojan War. I mean, boobs are a good distraction. I mean, especially if they're... Spangled. Bespangled. <laughs> That's fancy boobs. Uh, yeah. So, um... But even though... Those, um ancient sort of enhancements existed Greco-Roman women also had a history of wearing breastbands that would minimize busts and these breastbands were often linen or woolen strips that were stretched across breasts and fastened in the back I mean think like bandeau bikini okay and sometimes for presumably high-impact purposes, uh, leather would have been used to compress especially large busts. Going into battle. And hmm? For going into battle, I'm guessing. Well, at the time, there wasn't much difference necessarily between men or male and female coated clothing. Like it should be. so... (laughs) Like it should be. I mean, or not, if you don't want it to be. No, I mean, it shouldn't be coded, is what I meant. Like, clothing should be genderless. Sure. Um, but anyway, so the... I, I'm unclear if that was a silhouette choice or a practicality choice. Mm. Although I do know that... Um, there's a mosaic of Roman women wearing these bands and playing sports. Nice. And they look like they're playing beach volleyball in bikinis. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That's, um, that's delightful. And I will drop a link in the show notes. But, like, for all intents and purposes, they're exactly what I could buy today. That's awesome. Um, I mean, obviously not made of swim fabric. Not, no, I guess if they were woolen, they may have been stretchy. I don't really know. (laughs) But they absolutely did wear them to get their boobs out of the way. Nice. Yeah. And I'm not sure because I don't know this time of history particularly well if that the compression also would have been related to battle but a breastband that was leather certainly would have also been protective that's what i was thinking so so yeah i i'm not sure someone who has researched that particular area of history do enlighten me if you would like to let us know So in the 2nd century BCE, a rabbi decided, for reasons that remain unclear to me, because I have not studied deeply this particular time in Judaism because dissertation, um, 
but he decided that women should have a hand's width of space between their breasts. Specifically. But, but, whose hand? (laughs) And why? Presumably his. Oh, okay. He was like, come Um, forth, I will check all the breasts. Yeah, anything wider was considered like a birth defect. Wow. That's... And... what (laughs) yeah it's very strange i don't know um i don't think they were supposed to show that cleavage though but i'm not sure it wasn't clear i'm calling shenanigans um yeah but at the time there was also mentioned of perfumed nipples which sounds kind of itchy yeah i mean unless you're using like a perfume balm oh yeah I mean, it it could be um, enflorage. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> the next stop on the boob tour, on the boob bus, as it were, um, medieval pre-Islamic Middle East. Okay. Like, vests cut to show off shoulders, necks, and the swell of... Like, the full tops of breasts. Those were the fashion. And the poets, oh, they wrote about it. So, we know (laughs) that that (laughs) was, in fact, um, the thing. And um, so, that's certainly interesting. And meanwhile, in the 7th to 9th century BCE... Uh, Tang women in China started unbuttoning their collars, and bountiful cleavage became the fashion of the time. Good for and them. it had never before been a thing, apparently. Wow. I mean, I feel like maybe it has been, but at least... Still good on them. Yeah. Um, and, again, most... Of these are probably to attract men, but some of them seem like they are just women being like, yeah, motherfucker, I'm unbuttoning this. <laughs> yes. And what you gonna do about it? <laughs> mm-hmm. The answer is nothing. <laughs> or burn me. It's- yeah. <laughs> I love how there's no yep. middle ground. There, no. Um, in the 10th and 11th centuries, many women in India started covering their cleavage and wearing veils, probably because colonizers. Um, but at that time, Italy was having a hot post-plague girl summer. Mm-hmm. And they were letting their ladies get a bit more air. Those Botticelli women. Mm-hmm. Nice and curvy. All right. So Christians, not shockingly, ruined the party. Fucking always. And I mean, frankly, Judaism and Islam also ruined the party um, <laughs> by pretending that breasts didn't exist. But it, um, it, or if they did, they were shameful. Oh, my God. Or... If they weren't shameful, they were meant to be feeding and only feeding. And, oh boy, it goes from there. 
And then, though, the 15th century French court was like, nah, bitch. And lowered those neckties <laughs> and tightened those bodices. Bless the French! <laughs> yeah. And apparently... Now, I can't really picture this, and I... Listen, I want to see an example in action. <laughs> um, it, it was suggested that like boob teasing slits were cut in dresses to you know give you a little peek and also breast shaping construction appeared in clothing at that time now and this is the french court so this Ah, yes i don't imagine was particularly widespread but maybe the peekaboo slits just remind me of gautier yeah well it yeah and the uh but the breast shaping construction i find particularly interesting because it had a specific goal Mm -hmm. and it was to point your nipples to the sky oh boy i mean not quite not literally no but but, you could like um, rest your chin on your tits (laughs) i mean it was literally to shape the shape of the breast it, it it's like what um like bullet bras yeah we're doing like just completely making that shape unrealistic <laughs> for 95 percent of uh humans with boobs so um my favorite response to this is the French Catholic Church calling cleavage the gates of hell. What? Which, uh, that just makes it significantly more awesome. Right? Let's be honest. Like, come on. Um, and then the French court carried on with the boob viewing until um, Agnes Sorel, Charles VII's mistress... Like, you know, the official mistress, mm. mistress, um, wore a dress with a neckline so low and square that her breasts were entirely bare. Oof. Like, we're talking, like, picture frame around. No. Only the bottom, I guess. Is this when they were but, rouging their nipples? Is this the rouging of the nipple? Yes. Era? I mean, I think that that was a little bit later when it was just, you know, the peak of the areola. Gotcha. Um. Which the color but, of your areola is supposed to be the same color as like the perfect nude lipstick for you? I found that on the TikToks. All right, hold on. <laughs> I did the same thing. I was like, I don't know. I mean, I guess they're the same color as my lips. <laughs> Why would I wear a nude lipstick? Right? I don't understand. Whatever. Um. <laughs> yep. So. I mean, Ms. Sorel sounds like a real fun lady. (laughs) I don't know anything about her. She may have been awful. Um, I just know about her boobs. (laughs) And, like, that's fun. It is fun. And she started a trend. (laughs) 
And during this time, I guess this must have been the time of rouged nipples because cosmetics were definitely being applied to enhance the bust. And I was thinking when I read that that it was like the drawing of like veins. Oh, like contouring but I don't, and I think such. that was later. Yeah. Um, anyway. So. That's fun. Know. Rich people in Europe continued to show varying degrees of breast and nipple through Victorian times, even when, like, ankles or shoulders were scandalous. Right. I mean, whatever. Um, In 16th century, in Turkey, they okayed cleavage for respectable women. Um, but specifically forbade prostitutes from showing any. But it, oh, uh-huh. but, all right, I, okay. Because it was a motherly quality, you see. Oh. Mm-hmm. I mean, prostitutes can have kids too. Yep. And women in parts of India were also known to wear very sheer tops and dramatic cleavage and even breast jewelry so there are paintings of this uh, including bedecked boobs and they're really cool um and different parts of india and also um other indigenous groups in the in that general area were more and less modest at different times. Okay. Um, well, I guess modest is very much a Judeo-Christian concept, I think. Right. But anyway, um, they showed more or less um, throughout different time periods and weren't necessarily the same from place to place. Um But the Spanish conquistadors ushered in higher necklines and shoulder coverings, which especially impacted the dress of indigenous peoples in the areas where they were. They just ruined all the fucking party, man. (sighs) Colonization, so gross. I mean, yes. 16th century Europe at that time also um, I mean you know yeah. 16th century was a long time <laughs> um, century is a good amount of time for trends to come and go um, Europe decided that cleavage was for all classes of people rightfully so and uh, yeah and so like you know that's where you get the uh, unlaced tops and ample bosoms of Renfairs. Yes. The beer wenches and with breasts plenty. I, <laughs> I mean, beer wenches were a slightly different Bavarian thing. Yeah. But, um, but not part of what I'm going to talk no, about. No. <laughs> um, and Henrietta Maria, who was then the queen of england um married to charles the first before he was beheaded 
wore a mask costume that <gasps> showed both breasts. <gasps> yep. So her so, face looks uh, covered, but her boobs were out? Probably. That's even um, more fun. Because if somebody identifies her based on her boobs, <laughs> you know there's something there. <laughs> yeah, although a painting of her in the outfit, I believe does not contain a mask and so like um this is m-a-s-q-u-e ah okay and so it could mean masquerade like wearing a domino mask mm-hmm. and nobody knows who anybody is masquerade, There's a movie like that. or could just be a costume party gotcha so i i honestly don't know i just know that her tits were out <laughs> And so, la la la, 17th century. Oh, hi, Jack. Jesus. <laughs> Where did you come from? All right. Uh, 17th century, off the shoulder necklines became super dramatic. And then, and this was like Elizabethan England. Mm-hmm. So then, roughs. And then, High necklines mm. and ruffs rose to popularity in Spain, and then, like the very tittytastic <laughs> uh, displays of like Medici era Italy, also started to adopt some uh, high necklines mm. and shit. I would have hated yeah. that. High necklines with a ruffle? Ugh. Right? Yeah. N- not not excited. All right. And here is where I'm going to take a short break to say that though these things were all true, they all have little asterisks <laughs> they all have caveats yeah. because only certain people could get away yeah. with this behavior only certain people were allowed the freedom to do that or were pressured by society to do that because it could go in either direction um so I mean, it can go. It can go either way, and especially in parts of England where we've got Catholic and Protestant mm. rising and falling, and necklines rising and falling, and naughtiness rising <laughs> and falling, and crackdowns and all of the things, plagues, mm. like all of those things weighed in as to whether or not uh you could see some nip i mean it yeah it is all it's kind of like today where on many of the current runways you can see full breasts Mm -hmm. you can see transparent shirts and sometimes you see that like it wouldn't be unusual to see that when I lived in New York. Um, but it also wouldn't be common. 
Yeah. It wouldn't cause a scene. But very few people could afford the outfits that made that look classy. Gotcha. Yep. And so... So now, like, if I were reporting back on 21st century, I could say, necklines down to your navel. I could say, um, nipple tassels. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I could say an awful lot of things. Underboob is pretty big. are true. Underboob is pretty big. Yeah, underboob and like bikini tops that do not fit. Yeah. Um which just seem uncomfortable to me, but also I am not trying to look a certain way. So if I were trying to look a certain way, I and I don't mean a certain way in the derogatory sense. Right, right. I just mean like if that were the look I'm going for in particular I probably wouldn't well i wouldn't care that it was kind of a pain in the ass but or well, pain in the boob ass <laughs> yeah but i mean it's kind of like it's just it's very difficult to generalize and there's still only a handful of people who can actually do any of that yes by the time you get to the 18th century and the English speaking world specifically was wearing you know those real low necklines with the boobs that are like overflowing out of the top that look kind of uncomfortable you kind of have four boobs yes 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 yeah um so that was happening in the English-speaking world and France. But it wasn't really happening that dramatically, usually. Uh, Generally speaking, like, the dresses might have been cut that low. Mm -hmm. I mean, they certainly were historically cut that low. Yeah. But... They often were accessorized in some way. Okay. Um, and, like, had a little, a little ruffle in there, a little lace in there. Um, so you didn't always see the thing that was being hinted at mm. by the cut of the dress. Um Though the accessories, generally speaking, were quite transparent. Gotcha. They were still, like, you know, blurring out part of a photo. Right. It was that leaving something to the imagination, yet pointing you to where it was. <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, like, wrapping it up like a gift. We're talking bows. We're talking ribbons. Hmm. There are things called tuckers, which honestly isn't that actually a piece of drag queen underwear. <laughs> I was going to say. Like, pretty sure, but I think we're talking about on top, not down there. Huh. I assume. Um, 
There was a little bit of lace. There were some jackets and some shrugs and some scarves. Like, Whispers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and that existed because um, it was cold sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> And also, the sun exists. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> and so, you might be wearing a dress of that cut, but you probably either would never ever just wear it fully exposed, or you would only do so at like a ball or something where you could prevent your boobs from flapping on out. I would gather it in certain company as well. Uh, yes. Um, so this was especially important like to have things stuffed in there yeah when you were bending over oh oh absolutely <laughs> um so like it it was literally um, keeping them in place so i i think of it as you know like tucking a towel under my boobs when i don't want it to fall down yeah yeah um so Though there are a lot of, like, paintings and stuff of that time where people are wearing extremely daring pieces of clothing, that wasn't really day-to-day -day life. Although those items of clothing for sure did exist. That makes sense. And, yeah. And so, um, of course... When women were like, nah, I'm not going to wear all those things tucked <laughs> in. Then people complained. And by people, I mean men. Of course. And sure, they also complained when they couldn't see that titty. So, mm, whatever. Um, but I... Eh, whatever. Um, so then, of course, this century would move on to telling polite women to not unmask their beauty. Ugh. <laughs> Fuck you. Right? Um, and also compared women to, quote, common prostitutes if they did. But also, this was very much a time of the day kind of thing. You could wear low open necks in the evening, but daytime, that shit was buttoned up. Right, like you're not going to pick so, your kids up from daycare in a plunging neck. <laughs> you know what I mean? That makes. I don't think you're picking your kids up from daycare at all just, if you're wearing any of this. I'm just saying that, I mean, that makes sense that there's different, yeah. different looks I for mean, different times of day and occasion. you weren't having the nanny bring your children down to the drawing right. room to have tea um but what's kind of funny to me is that 
little girls, generally speaking, wore the same styles. What? So when you see, like, I've absolutely seen paintings of children with, like, absurdly low necklines from that time period. And then, like, eh. That doesn't make me feel comfy at all. But it wasn't sexualized. It was just that they just children to dress like mom at the time were dressed like tiny adults. Yeah. Oh, they were treated like and tiny so, adults too. I mean, that makes yeah. sense. And so the clothing was just Ooh. what their parents were wearing, but in miniature. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um. So that was going on until you know. French Revolution, all of that was going on, and then breasts, <laughs> breasts for the public, so many breasts, you get a breast and you get a breast, everybody gets Everyone a breast, everyone gets a breast, uh, the point is, that you cannot win with breasts ever sure you cannot win with the size you cannot win with showing them or not showing them you cannot win with shape you cannot win with cleavage you cannot win with lack of cleavage um although interestingly i did find that at least as fashion is concerned Smaller breasts have been considered sexually attractive f- more frequently and for longer periods of time in the West, which is interesting and makes me think of, like, 90s heroin chic. Yeah. Um, but I think that is because you were rich enough to be skinny. Yeah. Uh, if that makes sense, which doesn't, but also does, does, yeah. Um, and larger breasts have often been considered, uh, more utilitarian, I guess. Um, I never understood... The theory that if the if you had large breasts, you were dumb. Like, there was a big period of time that that was a thing. Like, probably the 50s and 60s. I don't know. Before I was born. But but it's just... Oh, yeah. Like, the bimbo. Right. Idea. Like, dude, they're boobs. It's not like... Especially then, at that point in time, it's not like you control them all that much in terms of size, you know? Yeah. Well, this article in Racked... Um, mentions a bit of where I think that probably came from, which is uh, biologists creating racism and racist uh, standards that are connected to yep. class. No, nope. yep, that and makes sense. The Eurocentric beauty ethnicity mm-hmm. standard, and so oh, fuck, yeah, I assume that though what we think of as the classic dumb blonde with big boobs. I think that where that 
came from was very much this gross scientific <laughs> in quotes racism yep no that actually oh god that makes sense and i hate that it does Ugh. yeah we have arrived <laughs> we have arrived to cantilevered dresses um, also known as umpire wastes empire wastes any number of pronunciations for when your skirt goes all the way floofy until it gets to your boobs and then it's tight so indeed oh god i look bad in those dresses like <laughs> truly it looks like a dress is eating me <laughs> my wedding dress was that and i ended up buying a roll of super wide red ribbon and just wrapped it around myself <laughs> give me a there waist. you go Be like look i have a body yeah uh, and then i looked significantly less like my dress was eating me but um so yeah you know what you think of um like the whole like Bronte sisters era Bridgerton yeah Bridgerton <laughs> um, exposed shoulders and boobs flowy dress but also a good way to hide a pregnancy <laughs> except for the fabrics were a little bit transparent a little bit and they were a little bit light a little bit layered um so apparently the opposite of a corset (laughs) yeah uh so they were basically considered kind of um scandalous (laughs) oh (laughs) which is funny because (laughs) like we've gone full just open window tit right like not that long ago but you know whatever um Boobs as a fashion accessory throughout history. But then we get to... Then we get to showing any breasts being only sexual, only erotic. You just... That has to be the thing. And we get mad about it instead of... Like, yeah, that was always true. Like, duh. Why do you think evening gowns were cut like that? But now we get the male gaze being mad that anybody else can see titties. Which, well, becomes exactly what you think it is. And then, yo, Victorian era. Yeah. Button, 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 button. Yeah. Mm, that's me. Lock it all down. Who does not have a long neck? Can you? Uh, oh God. No. Nope. I, I don't. I don't think that Victorian necklines would actually fit around my neck. I don't think so. Nope. 
I'm pretty sure I'd just end up looking like a strangled ostrich. Oh, God, I just... Yeah. So uncomfortable. God, especially in the summer. Like, dude. (laughs) Yeah, but the funny thing is that though we've got higher, like, real high necklines in Victorian times, we also have that curvy silhouette, the tiny waist... The yeah. wasp waist sometimes, like fluffy butts, like, and I mean you definitely have extremely tailored, fitted. See all the curved silhouette. You're just not seeing any of the skin, which is Jeez. interesting. It is. I mean, is yeah. that to avoid putting less makeup on? Because you get that white pancake shell. <laughs> I mean, no, I think it was because dudes got mad. Dudes be getting mad over bullshit is pretty much all of history. Oh my god, one of the cats just opened the door behind me and ran through. Even the cats are sick of men's bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I'm sorry that... The church decided that you didn't get to see titties. Right? I'm sorry that the church decided that maybe you couldn't get married. I'm sorry that the church decided you couldn't be fucking. Like... (laughs) Unless you're rich and white, because then you can always be doing all of those things. I mean, they were doing it anyway. They were just mad about it. Right. (laughs) Um, And if... I can't do it. Nobody can see it. Absolutely not. So, anyway. That, I mean, we kind of already did. Phryne, calm it. We kind of already did the wandering through of current fashion. So, that's a basic look at boobs throughout history. Dudes getting mad about it. And women basically not getting to be in charge of their own bodies because great yeah thanks a fucking lot yep oof oof that was long i'm sorry don't be sorry so today i am going to talk about the history of women in pants and if i talk about women deciding (laughs) right and by talk about it, I mean I'm probably going to end up raging a little bit, and, like, everybody listening should, too. Yeah, uh, let's get mad about it. Seriously. So you may be thinking, well, everyone can wear pants. That's not an issue. Like, now, that's not an issue, right? Bullshit. Have you Fucking seen school hell. uniform lists? Exactly. I was, uh, when I was doing my research, I found out that in March of 2019... A federal judge did strike down a rule at a North Carolina charter school that prohibited girls at the school from wearing pants. Mm -hmm. It instead required them to wear skirts, skorts, make it make sense, or jumpers. That's right. Three girls ages 5, 10, and fucking 14 needed to literally take their school to court to be able to wear pants. Oh, in winter. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the decision was uh, uh, on a lawsuit filed uh, back in 2016 by the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU of Northern Carol- Carolina, and then on behalf of these three young ladies, Can claiming you the school's imagine? Discord- 
right and being the person who's like nah this is the hill i'm dying on right and their whole reasoning was like dude it's cold in winter mm-hmm. and it makes me have to constantly pay attention to the positionings of my legs yeah and so the whole the, the charter school's whole argument was traditional values blah, 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 blah. But I would think that given the ridiculous fucking dress codes across this country that are aimed specifically at young women, pants would help with, you know, distractions and stuff because then they can't see the legs. Oh, Um, but they can see the shape of the buttocks. Dude, it fucking pisses me off that this is still a thing and that clothing is still gendered and anyway is disgusting. So. I agree wholeheartedly, except for... I really like darts placed where they need to be placed to fit a body shaped like mine. Right, but then you... I mean, that doesn't need to be gendered specifically to me, but it is helpful to at least know what kind of fit something is. Right, right, right. So, any hoozle, I'm going to take you back once upon a time. Um, Oh, no. And this is the thing, like, I went into this, Our it's funny because our experiences are very parallel. I went into this thinking it was going to be pretty cut and dry, pretty quick, bang, bang, boom. Um, and I was actually hoping to be able to, like, wrap it up with the story of one of my favorite freaking groups of women Me slash too. girls. Uh, but I, I couldn't get to it and they because they deserve their own episode and this is going to be much longer than I anticipated anyway. So I'm going to try to... Yeah, when you do that episode, I'm just Mm going to sit here and fan myself the whole time. Right. Oh, God. I was... So There's one photo. I'm going to send you one photo. I'm like, hello. Oh, I know exactly the photo you're going to send me. (laughs) And I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm going to... It's going to be quick, but I'm going to hit on a couple of big points. Yeah. So, uh, historians believe that in ancient China, as early as the first millennium BCE... It was common for working class men and women to wear trousers or leggings, Hmm. which makes sense. Yeah. Um, In ancient Greece, painted pottery from the late 400 BC depicted badass warrior women also wearing pants. Fuck yeah. Uh, Probably leather bras. (laughs) Right? Damn, Skippy. Um, Now, the government of India in the 19th century commissioned a series of photographs to gather information about clothes, customs, trade, and religions of the different racial groups on the subcontinent. Mm-hmm. I would argue that India is the absolute most culturally diverse country out there. Um, yeah. So that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, they have, I think they, they do believe they have the most languages. They have the most religions. They have, I mean, mm-hmm. it's other than here, but, you know, we're not free, so whatever. Um, so these photos showcased a number of Muslim, Sikh, and Hindu women all wearing salwar-style, uh, like, pajama pants mm-hmm. that were eventually adopted by Europeans during the lovely fucking colonization of the British East India Company rule in India because Whee! we steal everything. Also, they remind me of this very specific pair of pants from Units that I loved. Remember R.I.P. Units? Remember Units Store in, like, the mall? Oh, Seriously? Yes. They need to bring back units because how amazing of an idea was that? Like, seriously. Yes. I mean, I kind of feel the way that way about Esprit, even though I wasn't. Oh, I loved it. Es- yeah, I loved Esprit, the giant Esprit bags. 
But like, yeah, well, I, didn't we all? I had a fanny pack. Ooh, I did not. I just had the big tote bag. If you're not aware of units, it, it you walk in there and you can just pick these clothes. They were all made of like t-shirt material and they mixed mm-hmm. and matched and it was amazing. I put a link in the show notes um, of like a, a preview, but I, I wish it came back because <laughs> you could make, literally mix and match everything. Things could be yeah, worn multiple like, ways. Um, oh, multiples? shit. There's a kid's brand. Oh, uh, Granimals? They're mix and match. Mm, it's similar. Same era. Not that. Um, but I'll think of it. Continue. Um, but they're amazing. Uh, so in mid-1800s in America, women often at that time wore 15-pound skirts in the name of, you know, modesty. And according to historian Amory Strassel... They must have had glutes of fucking steel. Right? I can't even imagine. Uh, but according to uh, historian Amory Strassel, women complained of overheating, impaired breathing, uh, and then sweeping along the filthy streets and tripping over stairs, crushed organs from the whaleboning stays and laced corsets, uh, and getting caught in factory machinery. <laughs> By 1950, Amalia Bloom... a hazard. Right? Uh, now, by, 19, by 1850, Amalia Bloomer, a woman's rights activist, and the first woman to own, operate, and edit a newspaper for women, uh, or at all, a newspaper at all, um, and it was geared towards women, uh, popularized what is known now as the Bloomer Pant, which are loose trousers that are gathered at the ankles, like the... I hate to yeah. use the term harem trousers, but that's what they're known as in, like, the Middle East and Central Asia. Yeah. Uh, again, very similar to the unit pants that I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to make it clear that Amalia did not create the women's clothing reform style known as bloomers. Um, her name just became associated with because of her early and strong advocacy. So. Oh, that's And here's where things got, like, very interesting and very hard to not spiral out in different rabbit holes Mm -hmm. um while the early feminists were absolutely not fucking intersectional at all i think it's important to note that even though amalia amelia i don't know why i keep calling her amalia amelia uh clearly appropriated the style uh she was also very clear that she did not invent it so Mm -hmm. that gets points for me in fact there was two incidents (coughs) that kind of merge to make her take hold of and popularize this now like iconic outfit yeah um now as i just mentioned you know women were done with the fashion of the time they're like this is some bullshit uh and when men started of course when men started taking note of it mainly doctors worried that the outfits might cause health problems for pregnant mothers um and then the press like started mocking the style with cartoons showing like assorted garbage getting caught up in like these women's sweeping skirts <laughs> then things started to maybe change a little bit, and an editor of the Seneca County Courier had an idea. Maybe women could afford, avoid the discomfort and dangers of their attire by switching to the, quote, Turkish pantaloons and a skirt reaching a little below the knee. Hmm. The editorial written in February of 1851 by a man who had previously opposed the women's suffrage movement and the 1848 Seneca Falls Convention Oh, drew the pity. attention of Amelia, uh, and at the same exact, almost the like same exact time, um, Amelia's 
neighbor suffragist Elizabeth Caddy Stanton Mm. received a visit from her cousin Elizabeth Smith Miller, who was wearing the very outfit that Bloomer had just saw in the press. Alternately called Turkish trousers or pantaloons. Now, I have to, again, mention now that there are some publications out there that claim that Elizabeth Smith Miller um, invented this outfit, which she did not. And again, it's fucking appropriated. It's not, she didn't create it herself. Even if she had it commissioned, it is not an outfit that she designed herself. Mm -hmm. It has existed. Um, But Stanton loved the style and made herself up in like the same way that, you know, that it had been worn when she saw it. Bloomer wasn't far behind um, and feeling like it was her duty to do so. She'd, um, as she'd engaged in the quest of women's dress already in the media and has been, you know, arguing it. uh, She announced her decision to readers in the April 1851 edition of The Lily, which is her newspaper. Um, She also used her paper to gently poke at the Seneca, Seneca County Courier writer for supporting dress reform, but not women's rights. Which I fully support. Um, It was the publishing of this and her photo in it that would launch a new fashion era. It was also around this time that the corset was being chucked. So shit fucking took off. Uh, I stood amazed at the fear I had unwittingly caused, Bloomer later wrote. Some praised and some blamed. Some commented and some ridiculed and condemned. But what journalists had to say didn't really fucking matter to Bloomer's audience. No. After Bloomer included that print of herself in the reform dress in the lily, women wrote to her by the thousands asking for sewing patterns to make their own pantaloons. Hell yes. Soon after the dress controversy erupted, the lily's circulation. Now you got to remember, this is again like 1851. The lily's circulation rose from 500 per month, which is huge to begin with. To 4,000. That's Hmm. mind-boggling when it's the first female-run newspaper. It's geared towards women. And at that time, I mean, that's huge. Wow. Plus, at that time, there's not, I mean, obviously, and again, it would be pointed toward the wealthier women. Because those are the ones that could read. So, again, a lot of this is, is clearly pointed towards middle to upper class women um yeah at the same token they're the ones that actually created the fashions and stuff so um soon with the explosion of interest bloomer's name was inextricably tied to the trend uh and she again protested repeatedly that she was not the originator of the style but it it didn't matter. Adopters of the new look were bloomerites or practitioners of bloomerism or simply wearing bloomers. Like there bloomerism. was no well. <laughs> right? Um but it wasn't like sunshine roses and pants everywhere for everyone suddenly though. No. Many women who chose to wear this new style were, you know, ridiculed and shamed by some society. And while the act of wearing pants wasn't necessarily illegal everywhere. Some women faced major repercussions of spotted wearing them. According to Sarah Ida Kavage, and I apologize should Sarah happen to listen to this and I have butchered her last name. I tried repeatedly to find a proper pronunciation and couldn't. But she is a fashion historian and instructor at Parsons School of Design and Pratt Institute, 
Um, and she told uh, HuffPost, uh, for example, newspapers reported that women wearing the infamous bloomer costume of the 1850s were arrested in New York City. <laughs> right? The reason for their arrest was attributed to them doing indecent acts. That's bunny coats in there. Indecent uh, acts. Uh-huh. Instead of being based on wearing the actual garment, she added, in other words, the garment itself wasn't necessarily seen as breaking the law. But it was assumed that anyone, any woman who wore them was probably up to no good and should be arrested anyway. <laughs> yeah, right? That's, thank you. That's Well, I, I, I mean, they probably were up to no good. I know. <laughs> Still. And, uh, and looking been. good doing it. Uh, so I'd eventually actually like to do a deeper dive on Amelia as... And this whole fuckery, but we're moving onward through history. This uh, way of dressing was become known um, becoming known as rational clothing, and would get a big boost from a somewhat unexpected craze at the end of the 19th century. For just like a few years, bicycles were all the rage, and the cycling craze got millions of Americans moving in a new way, uh, and especially women. It offered them a um a mode of tra- like a means to transport on their own right they didn't have to rely on a car or a man um it also represented women moving away from like the restrictive domestic spaces and the restrictive clothing um and again i should note it's millions of white americans and white women yes uh only accessible to the middle class and the wealthy mm-hmm. this would show the harsh divide amongst race and class uh, bicycles were the beginning of that because it, they had to, I mean, it's how, it's a whole episode on its own, I'm sure at some yes. point, but basically if you had the means to, it's like having bus stops in only upper class neighborhoods. So somebody who has to work at a factory has to live near that factory and the kind of person that works at a factory is going to be considered a certain type of person. And then I mean, that's more of those, how the subway works. Right. Which is so, um, sad that it still does. Right. Uh, and bicycle, bicycles were the start of that. Mm-hmm. So while women's bicycles were actually designed to be able to um, be properly used while wearing dresses, pants were much easier and they, they pulled ahead in acceptance then. Uh, culottes, trouser skirts, and harem pants were all kind of children of the same movement. Yeah. Um, and then in 1911, enter Paris Couturier, Paul Perret. Uh, And he introduced uh, harem pants as part of his efforts to reinvent and liberate Western female fashion. His contemporary... Wait, wait, a man wanting to liberate Western female fashion? Yeah. He was also a fashion designer, so... Okay. He may have been a friend of Dorothy. I'm just saying. Um, Still. Either way, (laughs) we stand him for... (laughs) Right? Uh, Now, his contemporary Coco Chanel... Often dressed in her boyfriend's suit herself. Coco sucks. Began, began, yep, began designing pants for women to wear during horseback riding. And for information on why Coco sucks, you can check out our season two, episode 23, titled From From Mary Sachs to Coco Sucks. Uh-huh. Um, enter World War One, And this was the point where no one could really discriminate or mock women in pants because the war had caused 
many women to have to take up the roles that were traditionally for men, and that meant pants, coveralls, things like that. Pants still had not reached the norm post-World War II, though. Enter the 1930s, and the goddesses Marlene Dietrich and Catherine Hepburn... Oh, yes, please. ...who began wearing pants and suits, on a, like, pantsuits on a regular basis and looking so fucking good doing it. Like, mm-hmm. amazing. And again, this would help push pants more into the spotlight because even though... Um, Obviously, they're Hollywood royalty, but people who were poor had access to movies, too, yes. you know, so they would be able to see that. Um, and it helped push pants, like, into the spot. It, but even though pants were becoming more acceptable as casual attire, it still wasn't acceptable for, like, the average woman to wear them as an everyday staple. Right. Women were still punished for wearing pants in certain settings. For example, uh, Cassidy Zachary, who is a fashion historian and co-host of the Dressed podcast. Oh, yeah. I listened uh, to that. Point- pointed to kindergarten teacher Helen Hullick in an interview with HuffPost. In 1938, Hullick went to court to testify as a witness in a burglary case. She wore slacks for the occasion, prompting the judge to send her oh, home yeah. and order her t- to return on another date wearing a dress. Mm-hmm. Hullick was quoted in the nine in uh the November 10th, 1938 Los Angeles Times saying, you tell the judge I will stand on my rights. If he orders me to change into a dress, I won't do it. I like slacks. They're comfortable. Listen, I've worn slacks since I was 15. I don't own a dress except for a, a formal. If he wants me to appear in a formal gown, all right. But I'm going to come back in slacks. And if he puts me in jail, I hope it will for- it will help to free women forever of anti-slackism. Anti-slackism. She returned on two separate. Says anti-slackism. Right? Yes. With you know the circle and um. <laughs> yes. She returned to the to on two separate occasions wearing her pants, which eventually led to a five-day jail sentence. A higher court, though, overturned the contempt citation clearing the way for women's slacks in the court of law. Honestly, Helen's one of us. I maybe fucking love her. Mm-hmm. So because of a kindergarten teacher, it's now legal for everyone to, for women to wear pants in a court. Love it. So World War II began, and once again, women were thrust into jobs that were considered, quote, men's work, and overall and pants were everywhere. And the clothing needed to be comfortable and functional and not get caught in, I don't know, factory machine parts. <laughs> Uh, and you would think that that would finally, like, finally put an end to the whole pants stigma. Oh, God, no. But, but no. After the war, the era of Christian Dior's new look would cause pants to lose some ground. And we've talked about his new look before. Yep. But uh, it included cinched waist and a full skirt silhouette. And I with love Dior's, that silhouette. It's very lovely. Dior's inspiration at the time was he wanted women to look like flowers. It wasn't constricting. Um, it didn't have a corset. Um, it was light and fun. And I think, you know, after the hard times of the war, that it's what people felt they needed. And I'm fully behind it. Yeah. Um, and many wealthy women embraced that look. Um, and it had a place, but it also ended up setting pants back again. Um, yeah. So while the new look was quite popular, though, but not everybody hopped on board because you have to think of the time period and people that could afford Dior mm-hmm. and knockoffs even 
were of a certain financial and racial stature. And there are still people that had to be, you know, fighting for their rights. And some people did protest the trend, believing that it represented a return back to the whole restrictive dressing for yes. women. Now, it was the 1960s and 70s that would finally make pants being the norm stick. What was the difference this time? Now, for the first time in history, it wasn't affluent white women that was influencing fashion it was now rebellious youth that were influencing fashion by the clothing that they wore Ah, yes which brings me to the i am so itching to cover the teddy girls which is the predecessor to the punk movement i love them so much and we will get to them but uh they were in the 50s right after world war ii fucking decked out in menswear and oh Mm -hmm. um anywho (laughs) rebellious youth inspired and influenced high fashion a new generation of british designers such as mary quaint presented both miniskirts and pants on the runway followed by east saint laurent incorporating suits like le smoking suit into his collections around this time now pants are now wardrobe staples for all genders worn in private and public spaces with that being said though pants especially pants suits still remain deeply connected to masculinity, mm-hmm. which, again, is kind of bullshit that any clothing is being gendered. Because I'm telling you, there is something about a woman in a tailored suit that Dear is God. fucking... Exactly. Um, so I want to leave you with this, with a modern story, or quip, more likely, of uh, a pant-related rebellion. Mm-hmm. For Elle's annual Women in Hollywood celebration in 2018, Lady Gaga made the decision to wear an oversized Marc Jacobs suit, an act that was filled with self-empowerment. Quote, as a sexual assault survivor by someone in the entertainment industry, as a woman who is still not brave enough to say his name, as a woman who lives with chronic pain, as a woman who is conditioned at a very young age to listen to what men told me to do, I decided today... I wanted to take the power back. Gaga told the crowd as she accepted an award. Today, I wear the pants. Fuck yeah, she does. Fuck yeah. And it's sad. It is so fucking sad that this much. And it would be there'd be more modern stories. You know why there's not more modern stories? Because of the fucking pandemic. And now everybody's fine with people wearing pants at home because that's all we're doing is sitting at home. We're not going anywhere. But... (laughs) Seriously, the fact that pants are still a point of contention is mind-boggling to me. Just mind-boggling. Yeah, I mean, it's also interesting to me, like, I can also argue that skirts are really fucking functional and really comfortable and a lot nicer in cool weather. Or, I mean, in warm right. weather and things like that. Right. and You get that breeze going that, on. That, uh, like, men in skirts should absolutely happen yes. when it makes sense to do that. Because Kilts. they're comfy sometimes. Right. I mean, if they are comfy, they're comfy. Even if they're not comfy, just if they fucking want to wear it and be pretty in a skirt, in a yeah. dress. You know what I mean? Like, do it. It's seriously like nobody's saying pants are better no at all it's it's the everything it's down to the bare minimum right of what you put on your body yeah 
Like, we can't... It's bad enough they're telling us what we can put in our body, keep in our body, take out of our body. Like, we can't even decide what we put on our body without being judged. Yeah, like, fuck that. And seriously, fuck everything. Also, I want to see fashion. Like, I'm on a roll now. I want to see fashion that fully is accessible. I'm talking about... For people that require adaptive equipment like wheelchairs, I want to see shoes with people that that people can put on easily if they can't bend or stretch, if they have orthotics, if they have, I mean, seriously, we have so many different able bodies, body sizes. Give me removable insoles. Why can't you just take what is called straight size fashion and make the same thing in a larger size? Why does everybody have to, why do bigger people have to wear something that's completely different in style and just hideous? Like, I don't understand. It's so, the I mean, because people are being lazy and not figuring out how to grade actual same styles for bigger bodies. That's bullshit. It's total bullshit because if you look at it, especially with women's clothing, you, go ahead. Tell me what a size large is. Tell me what those dimensions are. There's no fucking real dimensions. We don't have real actual. You cannot go into. You should be able to go into any store and know that a size six is a size six is a size six. Oh, if you God. go into a Wouldn't store to great? get a bottle, or a half gallon of milk, a half gallon is a half gallon is a half gallon. Like yeah. it's all the same measurement. But Wouldn't it be beautiful to, to just be able to say, seriously. oh, I like my husband doesn't worry that something isn't going to fit when he orders it. Right. Because they have the same the measurements are right yep. there. And I think that's another thing that was so brilliant about units um, is that because of the material and the styling, like it fit like one garment fits such a wide range of sizes it was and like you could put them together. The one size fits all right. beginning. And like you could And it was pretty close. Put it together to Yeah. Just I I don't understand why it's so fucking different. Like why it's so difficult to I don't know. Allow people to just I mean like clothing is should be like a basic right. You know what I mean? You don't want people to be nude. Okay, well then why don't we make accessible clothing? I mean, I agree. I'm on the other end of that scale, and I can't yes. wear most straight size clothing because right. I, I am actually the average height, probably, of global women. Mm. Um, not European women, but I had a roommate my sophomore year of college uh lizbeth who was 85 pounds soaking Mm -hmm. wet she was from puerto rico and uh she ate she ate up a storm she just had that was her genetics and her or her um her metabolism and my one one day she got in an argument at (laughs) we worked at the same place she got an argument because uh, a girl that was complaining about not being able to find his plus size clothing and looked at Lizbeth and made a cutting remark about how she has it so easy. And she, you know, and maybe she should just go eat a sandwich. And Lizbeth lost it on her. And she's like, do you know what it's like to have to shop in like young adult section? Or if I try to, f- and you can't find sexy clothing in young adults, at least you shouldn't be able to. And if I do find something sexy in like 
you know, a grown-up size, it doesn't fit me and I have to have that fucking tailored. And if you have any idea how much it costs to have something tailored and some lingerie, you can't have tailored. Like, she went on this huge tangent because she was studying fashion design Mm -hmm. for that very reason. And I was like, that's the thing is that it's all sizes. That shouldn't just be, yes, it's very difficult for plus-size people, but that's, like, more of the lane that I can relate to. But I know people that it's harder, you know, not only that, but we have all these women now who are choosing or fit having to have double mastectomies mm-hmm. and not have reconstructive surgery. No. So, and like, that you should have, be a you know, viable option. Right. So it should, they should have options of clothing that fit them. Like, I remember one of my first, I think, I, I guess I was always cognizant of my body growing mm-hmm. up. Um, because I matured at a younger age and I was very hourglass and had a larger chest. And I remember one of the first times I went into Victoria's Secret and I asked for like, I asked if they had like a 32 double D. Because that's, that's my bra size. And mm-hmm. the salesperson looked at me and said, we don't cater to those with implants. And I was mortified. I was like, it's just my body. I'm like. Also, implants are valid. Like, I just, I was, as a teenager, I was, like, just so confused. Because I'm, like, but I that's just want what my to body know, is. Like, you know, the, the Victoria's Secret Angels. And I think that there's a, yeah. um, a yes. new documentary, documentary out. And I yep. have not watched it. I do not know anything about that. I'm going solely on what I remember from the catalogs during that mm-hmm. time period. What size did they wear? Because I'm pretty sure it's the same size that I do. But right, you can't get were... it in the store. Right. It just... Yeah. It Yeah. It shouldn't be so hard. It really should not be that difficult. No, it shouldn't be that hard. And, I mean, I will say, and I want to make it very clear, that someone in a thin body does have it easier, broadly than someone who does not have a thin body because like even though it's hard for me to find clothes it's still like I don't have to deal with a lot of the social related issues Mm. that like it's a pain in the ass for me to find clothes it's not a pain in the ass for me to exist in society and that is like orders of magnitude different um in my opinion like i can whine about clothes but my daily existence out in the world is not the same experience right but it's still valid you know what i mean sure it is and i just and the and the pole of privilege. I mean, you still have, you know, yeah. still. I'm several rungs up on the privilege pole, and I think it's really important to say that because it's right. not like me not being able to find clothes isn't the same as Correct. the lack of real fashionable, cute. I mean, I personally think that saying or that having a separate plus size clothing section makes zero sense to me that's what but i loved when old navy briefly made everything in their store available 
in all gamuts of size up to plus size. Yeah. Like. Yeah, but it's gone now. Uh, and I mean, well, we could talk all day about yeah. the business reasons versus the social reasons versus a whole world of nonsense. But when it comes down to it, um, market share, like, mm-hmm. I don't have the normal body size and shape. And people who are like me but grown-up size don't have <laughs> the average body shape. Like, the money's on the table. Make clothing. Right to fit most people right like it's bullshit but it's not rocket science i mean and it's not rocket science that's just it i mean in the same way that like i'm looking for specific like cuts with narrow shoulders and things like that those are the same things that exist in all body sizes like yeah figure out dart placement it's not hard right you're just right you're just figuring out that it's you can have the same silhouette at any size yes you absolutely can and for the love of god show all like if you are a brand that has inclusive sizing show Mm -hmm. it on all body shapes thank you because thank you i want to know what it's going to look like on me right and so does everyone else right anyway isn't that tough yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh told you there was gonna be raging and i was a little bit feisty we're gonna get mad about it but it's it really (laughs) is true like it's a basic human need very basic and really stupid for it to not be reality based right like i mean i understand if you're doing fashion as art and right specifically curating a look that drapes a certain way on a runway on like certain angles of certain kinds of bodies but like that's that's a that's that's an art project right that's not the actual norm no it's not that's that's not that's not daily life that's Mm -mm. an art project and an art project that's really cool and right awesome all for it do amazing things (laughs) in the medium of fabric or whatever the hell right. else you decide to attach to a body. But, uh, let's, like, let's be reality-based here. Let's... Right? We're getting ready to leave both. Yeah. Which brings us <laughs> oh, no. to the weekly worst, worst way. way to die. So do you have one? I do. But I don't remember what it was. Oh. You don't? You know what? The, I, um, 
also did not get to the thing that I wanted to talk about because it was awesome. Oh, no! Um, in Because there just were too many other things. Um, and it is a topless duel that I wanted, <gasps> or that I was going to go Ooh. into. And maybe we'll do, we'll pair Teddy Girls with yes. the um, topless historic, duos. Topless um, lady yes. on lady duel. And, yes. um, but I, that I thought would be the either the best way to die or the worst way to die. <laughs> <laughs> kind of unclear. <laughs> yep. Uh, for me, I have tripping on my long dress while trying to overthrow the patriarchy. Because, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Fuck the patriarchy. Skirts in machinery. Right? Terrifying. Terrifying. Horrifying. Anyway. So, yeah. So do you want... <laughs> do you want to be spooky internet friends? I mean, after we finish yelling, you either really do or really don't. <laughs> right. Oh. You're either like, yeah, or oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can find us at Bones and Bobbins on all of the social medias. Yes. Or you can just visit us at bonesandbobbins.com. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast because it pleases the internet gremlins and that's how we show up in recommendations so the other morbid souls who are mad about everything <laughs> um can find us bring forth the morbid souls wow and on that note let us leave you with some advice that you should never forget Mm-mm. lock your doors And don't run with scissors. Unless you're going to go stab a designer that won't make an outfit in your size. Well, I mean, the designer. Or maybe not that. Not do that. But like. Maybe just the patriarchy. Unless you're producing the. uh, Yes. Let's just go with the patriarchy. You're running up to patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) It's always the patriarchy. Always the fucking patriarchy. Oh my God. All right. Uh, goodbye, friends. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content.